I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12 and the best business phone service as chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more, all for a fraction of what you pay for those services separately. Make great calls today. Visit nextiva.com forward slash 12pack. That's N-E-X-T-I-V-A dot com forward slash 12PAC 12pack to get started. For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice. With William Hills, Max Meyer, thank you for joining us. We are about to end our delicious ride where we are previewing every single Pac-12 team. We're ending with Utah and Oregon. If you want to go back and listen to the other podcasts of every Pac-12 team, please do. Uh, we are excited to bring on Hithliday, our friend from Addicted to Quack and the Quack-12 podcast, and I am joined, as always, by Mr. Rob Bowen. Rob, we we are almost there. By the time listeners listen to this podcast, we'll be like six days away from college football in the Pac-12. I know. Hard to believe. Like, like I, I am so excited. Like, we're going to be, by the time you listen to this, we will be actively previewing the games. Very, very exciting. And Hithliday, thank you for joining us on this ride as we go through every Pac-12 team. Thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm well. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Excited to talk about the Oregon Ducks and our friends in Salt Lake with the Utah Utes. Just a few housekeeping items. Thank you for tuning in. If you share this podcast, uh, if you retweet it, we are going to enter you into our Pac-12 Survivor Pool. The winner is going to get some sweet, sweet swag of your university's choice from Etsy. And we're going to give you a gift certificate there to pick out some cool stuff. Um, this is the way it works. You enter the, the contest. You pick one Pac-12 team to win each week. And you can only pick a team once uh, in the contest. And if your team wins, you advance. And if they lose, you're out. And the, uh, the ultimate winner will win some sweet swag. Rob, myself, and our friends are also joining with us. So if you want to join that podcast, it was quite fun last year. It was one of the most more fun things that we did. Um, share the podcast. We'll automatically enter you. I'll send you the password. And, of course, you can check out uh, your entries on our website, sharpcollegefootball.com. Sharpcollegefootball.com is where we are having the Pac-12 Survivor Pool entries. So that's how you submit your picks. With all that said, very, very excited to talk about two very different and intriguing teams here. We're starting with the Utah Utes, who, by all, by all measures, had a, a, an impressive season last year, but not quite as impressive. I, I, I know that our friends in Utah like were expecting a Pac-12 title, and they were close, but not, not, 
they're not quite there, and they're going to have to replace a lot of people, and particularly on the defense, Rob. Let's talk about uh, the Utes. Uh, what did the numbers say about them last year, and where are they projected this year in beta rank? So last season, regardless of the finish, uh, you know, I do want to point like Utah had a good season. They finished number 14 overall in beta rank. Um, and the offense took a step forward under Andy Ludwig. I mean, number 20 overall in beta rank on the offensive side of the ball, a lot better, you know, uh, running the ball than throwing the ball number 17 in effective rush 51 in effective pass. Um, you know, and then the defense was again, very, very good. Number 15 overall. Um, they, they were number 23 in effective rush 17 in effective pass What their, what their defense was particularly good at though. Last season was creating negative drives. So, uh, creating turnovers, creating three and outs. They really, they, they came onto the field for the first set of downs with a really good plan. Usually Hitliday, the PAC 12 title aside, and we'll get into some of the issues on, on how teams were attacking Utah and whether or not they're going to be able to compensate for that with the new uh, personnel coming in, uh, setting aside that, that game against Oregon. Um, I mean, I, I w- if you're a Utah fan, that that's a pretty good season for the Utes. I mean, this is a team that that was one of the last entries into the Pac-12, obviously, and just working their way up to a point where they can be competitive and really beat some pretty solid teams, including you know they beat Washington, they beat Arizona State. Uh, their only losses really coming to USC, Oregon, and Texas, and those three teams have a couple things in common that we'll talk about. But what were your impressions of Utah um, looking back at the 2019 season? Well, I think it would have been an excellent uh, season for any team regardless you know utah has been a you know one of the most consistent uh teams in the pac-12 and fielding you know a high quality team every year and most impressively is you know they're doing it uh without recruiting at the top of the conference um their recruiting sort of ticked up uh which i i think was probably a direct product of them winning the pac-12 south the last two seasons um so it'll be interesting to see how they uh employ those i agree with you uh rob that the most interesting thing that they did uh was hire andy ludwig uh, um, now as an Oregon fan, I, you know, I had to watch Andy Ludwig's offenses for three years, uh, in Autzen stadium and they were atrocious. Um, and I, I am not a huge fan of his system. Um, however, I will say this for it, uh, and for his relationship with Kyle Whittingham, a guy who's gone through, I think 10 offensive coordinators in 12 years, some crazy number like that is that they appear to be, you know, actually friends and get along and that, uh, Ludwig's got Kyle Whittingham's ear and the, and the, the biggest product of that, other than maybe being able to keep his job for more than a year, uh, is that I think he convinced, uh, Kyle Whittingham to do something different on third down than he had been doing for much of his career, which was playing very conservative on third down. Like it was third long Kyle Whittingham would usually have a conservative play because you know if you got it great if you didn't you know whatever was punt and play defense and Andy Ludwig sort of won a little micro political struggle and then he convinced him hey we got Tyrell Huntley he's a pretty good quarterback we've got a wide receiver core who can actually catch the ball um why don't we take some shots you know on third down that's really what I noticed you know the big change was in fact you know one of the most interesting I think telling stats about Tyler Huntley was that in 2019 he was the number quarter one quarterback in America uh for third down passing yardage. Um, now part of that is because they were in third and long quite often because I didn't think it was particularly efficient offense. Um, but they were converting those third downs when they were taking those shots. Um, and I think the reason why the three teams that beat them beat them is because they were able to play man coverage, uh, in those games and just sort of locked them down. Um, Washington has a good defensive back group. They played them the next closest. Uh, I think they should have been playing man instead of playing zone. I think they would have had a similar result. Um, so that's it's going to be interesting to see how that play out, plays out because they're returning most of their uh, wide receiver 
starters um, from last year, but it will be a new uh, quarterback situation. So we sort of have a natural experiment. Was that Ludwig and the wide receivers or was that really Tyler Huntley? Um, it will be fun to see. Let's, I guess we'll start at the offense here. And uh, in, in our Washington preview, we were like, let's start at the things that we know are going to be there. Um, and it's a little bit more difficult with Utah because they do lose so much. They lose, obviously, like you mentioned, Tyler Huntley. They lose Zach Moss. Uh, they do return their offensive line, but we'll get into that because it, it could be uh, an issue. So I guess let's start with the wide receiving core or the, the, the pass catchers, I should say, because their tight ends, uh, Brent Keithy in particular, ended up really being pretty solid. Um, you know, it's interesting to see some of the options that they have. Uh, Keithy, 600 yards, 17 yards per catch, six touchdowns. Hithliday, when you were talking about those third down conversions, he was a big part of that um, and just a big body that was able to uh, catch those passes and get big uh, chunks of yards down the field I liked Brian Thompson a 6'2 200 pound wide receiver that really wasn't when you take a look at some of the recruits that they've brought in he wasn't somebody that jumped out immediately but was somebody that I thought um, could actually be finally the guy that can go out there and and, and catch that long ball um, 500 yards on the year in 18 receptions about 25 yards per catch only three touchdowns but I thought he was an interesting uh, person uh, Britton Covey returns uh, you have uh, a couple other players there that, that are interested. Samson Nakua, who has an awesome headshot, by the way. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Solomon Ennis. I mean, I, those guys are fine, but I, I really do think that Keithy and, and Thompson could be the, the guys really moving forward for them to, to really get those big plays. Uh, but what do you think about the wide receiving core, and how are they used in this scheme? Uh Well, they're certainly returning a ton of production. And the most curious thing about it is that it's an inverse relation. Like the more yards you have in your career or the lower your uh, recruiting ranking was like Britton Covey has is the lowest of them, but he has the most yards. And then it goes to Nakua and and Keithy, you know, all the way down to to Solomon Enos, who is the only four star in the group and he has the fewest career yards, just kind of funny. Um, you know, it reflects probably some, some very good, uh, wide receiver, uh, developments to be getting that much production out of not a super highly rated guys. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think they're, again, I'm not wild about Andy Ludwig's offense to be perfectly honest with you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, maybe that's just the Oregon fan in me. I, I, I gave him 15 years, you know, to, to, you know, I wanted to really give him a second or, shot. Oregon fans will never, they all have a mental block about him, despite the fact that he did pretty well at Wisconsin, pretty well mm-hmm. at Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's not and what Wisconsin well. fans think. That's not what Cal fans think. Like, all right, don't get me started. Advanced, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, like, but his offense has put up points compared, I mean, like. I and, think his offense has put up points when he has a really really good offensive line and uh and they put I up points think- last year and he had a terrible offense <laughs> sorry you, we, we that was a little that was a that was a, they we didn't really put out of that but like, like arizona state is you know their biggest like face crushing they put up 21 points against arizona state like really dive into the numbers they don't actually generate that many points they sit on teams because they had an excellent oh defense. no 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 they didn't have it and, like you have to account for the drives you're not doing that you have to account for the number of drives like they have they fewer drives, they burn some clock, turnovers, they put up some points. Defense. All right. The the I don't think that Andy Ludwig runs a magical offense. I think he had talent that was appropriate to the offense that he wanted to call. Uh, and 
And I, in particular, think that uh, Andy Ludwig is in love with multiple tight end sets, and he had two very good tight ends in Brant Keithy and Cole Fotheringham. Both of those guys returned. So, Bryant, I think that you are right. I think the the the, the nature of this pass catching uh, offense is not going to change, assuming that they could get uh, good quarterback play out of uh, Tyler Huntley's replacement. And let's get to that here. Um, the quarterback position that we'll talk about replacing Zach Moss um, and Devonte Henry Cole, although one way more than the other. Um, like they, they bring in uh, Jake Bentley, the South Carolina transfer who had some interesting numbers uh, in 2018, 3,100 yards, 62% completion rate, eight yards per pass. So it wasn't like he was fully dinking and dunking 27 touchdowns, four interceptions had a pretty good numbers the year before two 2,800 yards, 62% completion rate with a similar touchdown to interception ratio. He's going head to head with cam rising and that that's kind of it, right? I think those are the two guys and, uh, and, but Tyler Huntley, like I, I loved that guy last year. He like, and, and I think it, it's more emotional for me because, um, I, we, we've been talking on this podcast, Rob, for a long time that like, man, if, if Utah can throw the ball, they can really make that next jump in this conference. And then they did. And like his play, his playing, like and, and him stepping forward, like Hifliday mentioned on third down and like hitting a lot of those plays, like he just was clutch a lot for that team and he's gone. And I, I know like, you know, you can't compare one quarterback to the other in terms of their play style. They all have different like strengths and weaknesses, but man, it's going to be hard to replace Huntley, but it sounds like Whittingham's actually pretty um, optimistic about his quarterback play, um, you know, with, with Bentley coming in, it was named the team captain. Um, now they've actually named team captains before that didn't start at quarterback. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, it, but also Cameron rising, the Texas transfer had a lot of time to learn the system last year. I'm just, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. This is the big question mark for, for, uh, Utah, one of many, what do you think about that quarterback, uh, p- position over there? I, I think what's tough here is that, because Utah didn't air it out a lot. And I, I like, I mean, there's some, some to like about their wide receivers, but their pass catchers were not great. Um, they didn't grade out super well, you know, in their effective pass last year, but Huntley was terrific. Um, I mean, I agree. Like he took a big step forward last year, you know, pro football focus had him at number nine, you know, uh, last year in their QB grades. I mean, I, I, I think it is it is easy to overlook because it was such a run dominant offense uh, in a lot of ways. It's easy to overlook the you know the and say like oh Huntley's going to be easy to replace, but he was a lot of what they were effective at doing. Uh, and I I am a, I am a little I think Utah for the first time in a long time you look at it and you're like oh yeah they've got a you know the couple of former four stars some transfers from Texas and the SEC coming in to compete. Um, you know, like you certainly have to feel better about the depth that they have in the room. That said, we haven't really seen much of Cam rising, you know, and even when he was playing at Texas, Bentley was good two years ago. Um, and then last year was not nearly as good. Um, and then well, last you know, year only got one game. <laughs> I know, I know, but he was not, I mean, and then, you know, disappeared. I mean, because they went with Holinsky who was, and Holinsky was, not good. <laughs> like let's let's be clear. Right, like Ryan Holinsky last year for South Carolina was very bad uh, for a lot of the year, um, and, and you know the, the you know he was not able to get back onto the field um, even with the you know really subpar play that Holinsky was putting out there. So I I I don't know. I mean I, I think I mean I, I think it's Bentley's job to lose. I think he is. 
I think like I, I don't I think if you're a Utah fan, you should not suddenly like worry that like the play is going to be bad. I don't think that that is going to be the case at all. Um, but you know, is it as going to be as good as Huntley? I think it is a little bit of an open question. I think there, uh, you know, for them. So I I mean I I think. I think Bentley's going to play. I think if he, I think if he struggles though, like maybe for the first time in a while, like you could actually see a hook um, from Whittingham, you know, like, you know, cause you know, Huntley's really had the job, had the job. I mean, if, if, if Huntley was healthy, he played, he of course had some injuries. And so we saw some, some Shelly play from time to time. But I think the, you know, the, if, if there are, if there are any struggles, like I, I do think that it's probably close enough between rising and Bentley that rising could see the field. Rob, I, I agree with the way that you're reading the tea leaves here. I, I think that when you have a quarterback who has like 34 sec games in Jake Bentley versus a quarterback who yeah. has never played a, a college game, um, that, you know, the, the default option is the, the, you know, the transfer. Um, and I think in a vacuum, uh, Utah fans, you know, should be, you know, pretty happy about this room. You know, they, they appear to be engaged in a pretty healthy competition and, you know, either Bentley wins sort of by default or rising beats him, in which case rising must be pretty damn good. Um, However, I also agree with you that I think that, like I was saying earlier, Huntley sort of bailed Utah out a lot. You know, one of the reasons why I am skeptical about Andy Ludwig, despite some of the numbers they put put up, was that I could see on film that Huntley was succeeding playing out of the structure of the defense or offense, not within the structure of the offense. And so even though, like I said, in a vacuum, you probably have two good options. And if one of them is unavailable for whatever reason, you know, good backup too. Uh, it would appear um, is that what will remain to be seen is if, if I'm right about Andy Ludwig and the only way that offense works is if you have a quarterback who plays outside of its structure, we have, we need to see that too out of these guys um, because otherwise it, you know, it could be a fall off compared to Huntley, you know, that will, we remains to be seen. Okay. Well, one of the things that you had just mentioned Hippolyte when it comes to whether or not Andy Ludwig could, um, put together a solid scheme was a good offensive line. And last year that offensive line wasn't great. And oftentimes I've looked at Utah's, uh, not just the offensive line, but the defensive line, kind of like Steve jobs would explain the cloud to people. Like they just didn't understand what it was. He was like, it just works. Like just, just trust me. And that was kind of how uh, over years I've just thought, you know, like, I don't quite know these players. They're three-star guys. They're JUCO transfers. But it's Utah's coaching staff, so it's just going to work. And last year, it didn't quite work uh, on that offensive line. It was like the one area that I think kind of held back Utah from ma- making the the ultimate jump in the Pac-12 to challenge for the actual title and be the Pac-12 championship and get that playoff berth. Um, again, really good year, but the offensive line certainly was a question mark. Now, they do return a lot of those players. Uh, Hithleday, you saw a lot of film on that offensive line. What did you think of them, and is there a way that they can improve in this coming year? Uh, well, I generally agree with the consensus that it wasn't a, a great offensive line. Um, and it, it, well, here's the interesting thing. They only lose one piece off of it. Darren Paolo, um, the left tackle and who I thought was the best out of all of them and how they go about replacing him, I think is going to really tell the tale here because they have a, uh, they have a dude to transfer in actually from London, England of all places, uh, Bamadeli Oliseni, um, who is just the prototypical body type of an offensive tackle. Um, and they tried him out uh, last year in the Washington game for like four drives, and he just 
I don't know what to say. He just wasn't very good at right tackle. Um, they wound up having to put in the injured dude that he was replacing back into the line in order to get anything going at all. Um, uh, and, you know, it's interesting because I think if that was just a thing and he takes a big step forward over this offseason and plays like his body type and recruiting ranking indicates that this offensive line could actually be between the experience and the other four guys and him being a game changer as a, a new talent and, and prototypical dude um, that they can actually could get pretty decent offensive line play. On the other hand, if he doesn't work out and they will probably have to move Nick Ford, the right guard over to the left tackle. I know that's what they were doing in the spring ball before it got cut short um, and probably have to bring Johnny Maya off the bench um, or maybe Keaton bills. Um, and then I think the line is probably back to where they were in 2019. Um, you know, without a game changer, I just I think the incremental experience increase doesn't uh, do a lot um, to to raise the the standard here. The other sort of interesting part of this is that they have recruited actually pretty well um, at offensive line in the 2019 and 2020 classes. Again, I think that's a product of having won the conference for the last or the division for the last two years. But from what I know about Jim Harding, their offensive line coach, I doubt that any of those guys break into the rotation. I think you're, you know, by, by taking, you know, established starters jobs, that's just not his style. Um, so I think it's, you're, you're going to probably have to wait a year or two in order to see, you know, Lame and Lotulele and Talavu and Kump. Um, you are probably going to see the same four guys that you saw last year, Mana and Daniels and Ford, who I mentioned a second ago, and Mawala, Simi Mawala. There's a couple of Mawals on the team. Um, and where I think that sort of, you know, plays out as the skill players that we've been talking about. Like, are they going to be able to protect a quarterback who maybe is not as magical as Tyler Huntley was in terms of playing outside of the structure of the offense? Um, and are they going to be able to, you know, open up holes for the running back? Um, because, you know, we haven't talked about the running backs, but, you know, the big, big loss on the offense, the other one is Zach Moss, who was yeah. just a phenomenal yards after contact back, um, you know, from, the second coming of Miles Gaskin uh, uh, from Washington, like uh, the running styles are a little different, but the the output, you know, similarly was like turning uh, nothing into something. In fact, Andy Ludwig in an interview with the Adla uh, Athletic uh, the other day, you know, like openly admitted, it's like we have to get better at uh, refining our our run calls because Zach Moss was was an eraser. You know, like he would erase bad play calls. I'm not kidding. He said bad play call. Rob, uh, and, <laughs> I don't think he's I don't think he's a genius, but this like <laughs> this reputation that he has for Oregon fans is like literally unjust. Like uh, it is, uh, he's not uh, like he becomes this lightning rod where he's like a binary, like he's all good or all bad. I'm like he's okay, he's better than average. Like, like that's that's okay to say. Like what I was saying when we were talking about Washington, like I have not been calling for his job because I think within the structure of his offense he does a good job i just don't care for the structure of that offense i wanted to claw my eyes out when i was watching it for three years not since stadium yeah. now as to the running backs they lose zach moss they return jordan wilmore and tj or excuse me uh, devin brumfield tj green uh, transferred out um you know it's probably going to be a one two thing with them i i would sort of expect simply be based on more um carries that devin brumfield uh, wins the job over wilmore but it might be a running back by committee approach i'm not sure um but we've seen enough of those guys you know it's it's about you know 50 lifetime carries for wilmore about 75 lifetime carries for for brumfield and i you know i don't think it's in disrespect to them to say i don't think either of those guys are zach moss and with if the offensive line is what it was in 2019 or about that, you know, and they don't have a, a Zach Moss guy who can make uh, something out of nothing like 
I would not expect as uh, productive of a rushing offense. Um, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, Rob, <laughs> you take a look at uh, Brumfield and Wilmore, and I, I think Hithlade hit it right on the head. Like they were, they were fine. Um, but Zach Moss was just so special and to rely on him. Now, one of the things they do have a kid named Ty Jordan, who's the number 12 all purpose back, but he's, he would be a true freshman starting. And I don't really see a scenario where he would be as productive as Zach Moss. Um, it'd be interesting to see a a Utah team where they're going to be more productive through the air than on the ground. And and maybe that's not the case. Maybe one of these two guys jump up and pop, but I do think that there's going to be a drop off from what uh, Utah fans are expecting from last year. Where does beta rank have this team on the offense projected? So it has them projected at 32, um, you know, reflecting some of their losses. uh, You know, they do have a decent amount of production coming back, but they, you know, they also lose some important players. Um, I, I mean, I completely agree with Hippolyte on the, on the ball, like Zach Moss made the offensive line, not look like huge liability and, you know, until they really ran into some teams that, you know, were able to, you know, tackle Zach Moss, like, <laughs> you know, actually line up and tackle him, um, you know, with, without having, uh, you know, to bring in that second or third tackler, you know, when he really ran into, um, you know, and he was injured in the USC game that really hurt them offensively. Uh, and then, you know, Oregon, uh, and, and Texas had the talent up front in the front seven to, to really slow him down and, and really expose in a lot of ways that Utah offensive line. And they struggled to also protect Huntley in those games as well. So I'm, I do have, uh, I do have real concerns about how this Utah offense um, you know, works with, you know, the offensive line struggling. Now, Ludwig's offense, I will say like he isn't able to incorporate, you know, some, you know, you'd call them like flex bone elements into it, you know, that can, that can help work around. And they did a little bit of this last year. They can help work around a little bit of a bad line. I don't know that you're, I mean, I don't expect Utah to be able to fully lean into that. And I don't think, I mean, I think rising is a, is rising, is rising is a little mobile, but I don't think they have anybody with the kind of mobility that would really make that work. Um, you know, in there now they've, they've managed to go from having, uh, two fairly mobile quarterbacks in Huntley and Shelley to, to having, you know, a little more statuesque QBs back there. So I'm, I don't know. Like I, I have big concerns and it really does start in the line. And I do think it also, you know, there, there is some, you know, I, I mean, I, I like Keithy and uh, Fotheringham. I just think that, you know, they're, they're some of the best tight ends, you know, coming back in the conference, if not the country, you know, and they do have, you know, one standout at, at wide receiver, but you know, like it's, you know, the, the, the play, I mean, the, the playbook on being able to come in and shut down Utah's wide receivers you know, if you have the talent to do it, it was a little more there. I mean, uh is right about what Oregon and Texas were able to do. You know, if teams are able to execute that uh, against this Utah team and being able to, if they are, if, you know, if they do have the talent to expose, you know, to, to be able to tackle, you know, they're without Zach Moss there, you know, near the line of scrimmage, I think they could be in a little more trouble than we expect. I mean, I think it's going to require some adaptation. I just, I don't think that this offense has... I don't think, I don't think it has as much upside as as you you might like um, on paper. I, I tend to agree, but I would also say I think their floor is a lot higher than a yeah. lot of oh, teams yeah. too. 
especially teams that you would sort of expect would be taking a step back after having, you know, two great seasons, um, but not, you know, the greatest recruiting in the world. And the reason I think they have a pretty high floor is because there's so much continuity and redundancy here, right? They've got two probably pretty good quarterback options. They have multiple good running back options. They have two good tight end options. You know, even if the offensive line is not great, I can tell you from Andy Ludwig uh, that, you know, he will go to six, seven, even eight man protections to keep the quarterback, uh, you know, upright, um, you know, in order to hit the wide receivers of which they are bringing back a ton of guys. The con- the staff continuity uh, is yeah. one of only two teams in the Pac-12 that brings back everybody. Um, and again, with Utah, that's saying something if you're bringing back the offensive coordinator. Uh, so, yeah, I actually think that, you know, it may not be the best offense in the conference, but there's no way it's going to be the worst offense in the conference. Yeah. Like, I, I think they'll actually be fairly solid, all things considered. Um and look, redundancy in a pandemic year is going to be vital. You know, I know that throughout the series, I keep going back to depth and I don't want to seem ghoulish about this, but like a injuries are a reality in college football and B it's a pandemic year at any given moment. Your starting quarterback could be out for two weeks, you know, on quarantine and having a second quarterback that you can rely on and guys that he can throw it to and different offensive line and uh, other, you know, blocking solutions with running backs and tight ends. Like that's going to be very valuable. And I think Utah has those. So I, I think they don't, you know, I think their floor is, is pretty reliable. Yeah, that's fair. Rob, Rob where did they, where did they finish out uh, in 2019 on offense? Uh, on offense last year, they finished out at 20 overall. Okay. Yeah. And, and you have them at 31. Hey, that's fair. I mean, like, 32. I, mean, I feel like 32, like if they, if they finish out, if they can get into the high twenties, I mean, I feel like that's, I just, I don't feel I like think that a, might be too much. Like Let's not get crazy here. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, still feel like there's like a really high ceiling for this offense this season. Um, but uh, Hiplet is right. I mean, there's, there's, you know, with, with Ludwig and some of the talent that they have there, I mean, I, I also don't think that like the, they have like a low floor either. Like I, I, I think that they're, you know, the the model might have them pretty well pegged coming in. Okay. Yeah, there are some teams in the South where if they take a couple of injuries, that's it. Their season's over. I don't think that's true for Utah. That that might be worth a lot come to the end of the year. Yeah. True. Well, well, let's flip over to the defense because uh, talk about depth. <laughs> and we don't know what the depth is here because uh, so many players have left. Uh, and again, this was just a really, really solid defense that had a lot of excellent parts to it. Um, one of the things that was interesting, Hippolyte, when you were talking about the defensive line, you had pointed out um, that you could actually run on this Utah team sometime. I mean, we take a look at the names, right? Leaky Fotu, John Panasini, Bradley and I, Francis Bernard in the linebacking core, and all those guys were really good. And, and for a Pac-12 defense, they were excellent. Um, but there were times when teams could actually move the ball on them on the ground. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about that? And then maybe some of the players that you expect to fill in on some of these big shoes that even though like there were times where they would give up um, some some drives, uh, for the most part, they, they were a pretty solid unit. Uh, yeah, what I noticed, I wrote a, um, a film study article. It was kind of a crash course because o- Oregon hadn't played Utah and through a weird uh, quirk in the schedule, you know, none of the teams that Oregon played had recently played Utah. So it was sort of like the first time I was ever seriously looking at them was that uh, week uh, before the Pac-12 championship game, which because it was played on Friday, I really had to rush it. Um, but I got in uh, five or six games worth of film study on them, and that was definitely something that I noticed was that 
that like they're this is going to sound like a, a, a weird term, but they they were very good at shutting down explosive runs. They were not really great at shutting down efficiency runs. Teams would get the yardage that they need. The you know like some other defenses uh, in the Pac-12, you know they just didn't want you to run the whole field. Um, they had uh, uh, they play out of a four-two-five structure with really aggressive linebackers. And the thing is, there's. One, both of those linebackers will guess where the run is going, and then we will hit it hard the instant that the ball is snapped. And there's always a gap left. And if they both guess wrong, um, you know, it's into the the second level, you know, pretty effectively. And it's just that Utah was very good between their secondary, which was truly legit uh, last year, and uh, a, a very good pass rush uh, around the edge, Bradley and I, and, and some other guys um, that like you had a hard time going the entire field and avoiding making a mistake. And boy, if you made a mistake, Utah would really pounce on you. But right up the middle, if you had the patience to just run it, run it, run it, run it, run it right up the middle every time, um, there were definitely teams that moved the ball pretty well against them, uh, in, including Oregon, who, you know, <laughs> say what you will about Oregon's offensive staff, which a lot of people have been taking shots at them over the last couple of weeks. Uh one thing that they were very allegiant to was running the ball right up the middle. Um, they are replacing almost the entirety of the middle of that uh, defense. Um, and I think is probably the, you know, one of the, the you know, problem areas here. Um, although simply because, you know, they haven't really recruited that great in the middle of the defense, the, the tackles um, and the, the linebackers. In fact, they basically recruited no linebackers at all. It's crazy. They always like convert somebody from another position. Um they bring back one, Devin Lloyd, who's one of the linebackers. I thought that he was very good uh, within this system. Um, uh, who they replace the other guy with is a big unknown. Um, they may use another converted safety, Nephi Sewell. Um, they may use uh, Andrew Mata'afa, who's cousin of Wazoo's Hercules. Um, they lost uh, a Stanford transfer, Sione Lund, um, uh, to some legal matters. I guess he doesn't appear on the roster anymore. I, I had him penciled in until he disappeared. Uh, another guy, another Sioni, uh, but his last name is Fotu, may get the job. I don't know. It's a, it's you know big question. Um, it's not like you can sort by their two four seven ranking and just guess like whoever their most highly rated guy is going to get the job. It's just not how it works at Utah. So we'll have to see on that question. Uh, you know, when you're playing in a four two five, your inside linebackers are absolutely vital. Those guys have to be you know excellent because they're you know a four three has three linebackers. You've only got two in a two linebacker system. They have to be. 50% better. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye on that one. And then a defensive tackle, they just lose everybody. Fotu and Penasini and the, you know, they, they bring back a couple of backups. Uh, Vianney Mwala, I think, is going to get the nod. Um, one of the, like, four towels on the team, I think, Howity, um, uh is going to get the other tackle job. They have some depth, you know, Tanoi Togiai, Peter Tonga, Tennessee Pututau, one, one of the many other Pututaus. Um So, the, you know, they have some bodies to plug in, but, you know, really, you know, haven't really seen it, you know, whether those guys can be starters or not. They're, it's not like any of them were super highly, you know, recruited either. Utah does a fairly good job of, of turning those guys, uh, you know, into production players. But, you know, until you see it, uh, you don't know. Where I think Utah is in the front seven fairly strong is around the edges. Um, they they bring back two of the defensive ends who were playing uh, last year, Max Tapai and Mika Tafua. Um, both of those guys were forced, or Tafua is a borderline, but, you know, whatever. They also recruited um, two uh, true freshmen, um, two of the, the, the best ranked 
uh, players in Utah's history, Van Fillinger and Xavier Carlton, a defensive end. I think that given what I know about Utah's style, those guys will probably be um, not starters, but I do think they'll burn their red shirts and, um, uh, and, and play them uh, in the rotation. Um, and they got a couple other guys too. They got a transfer from BYU, Devin Kafusi, and uh, Mika Sugaturga has gotten some good r- reviews out of camp. So uh, I-, I like them around the edges, but will it will remain to be seen whether or not, uh, like last year, if you have the discipline to do it, you can just run up the middle over and over again. I- I'm interested to see the answer to that question. Yeah, if you're a Utah fan, the middle, the middle, the middle. You know, just keep an eye on whether or not um, you're going to be able to to really hold steady there, and and the edges are fine. And then, of course, like Hithleday mentioned, that second linebacker spot. But Rob, it's it's interesting when we talk about the linebackers. This is the third year in a row where we've looked at the linebacking core, and, and obviously now now Devin Lloyd is good, so I'm, I'm not discounting that. It's the it's the other spot, and actually the the previous years it was like who's going to play linebacker that was literally our question um two years in a row and two years in a row this coaching staff has filled that spot um and had them play at a level that was higher than we had expected given the talent and given the question marks there and like Kipladay sometimes it mentioned sometimes it was pulling a safety into there sometimes it was taking a last minute transfer um last year it was like like Mike Juarez was on that. <laughs> like there's just, oh, yeah. it was such a bizarre mix of people that n- none of them whom Utah had recruited initially and, and they still figured it out. So um, what, what do you think about this front seven? Anything you want to highlight? I mean, I, I think Utah, I mean, they, they do make defensive line in particular an emphasis. They have two full-time position coaches working on the defensive line, one for tackles and one for ends. Um, and I think that is part of how they, you know, have consistently developed players. I do feel like, I mean, it's, uh, if you remember two years ago out of spring camp, I mean, people were raving about Bradley and I, you know, like they were saying, like, don't like, and they were losing some guys, uh, off of that line. And, uh, you know, they said, like, you know, the, the word out of Utah camp was like, don't worry, they'll be fine. Bradley and I has really taken a big step forward. Um, you know, not having spring camp, of course, we haven't heard, <laughs> we haven't heard anything like that. I still expect them. To, I still expect them to be solid. Um, you know, they have, they have really, you know, good continuity on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, with the coaching staff, I, I don't expect them to have like a significant fall off, but I mean, it, to, to all, I mean, to Hippolyte's point, like you are going to have, you know, some questions, you know, at nearly every position, you know, outside of Devin Lloyd of, you know, can they continue to hold up and be as good? And I mean, for some of these, there might be some knock on effects too, right? Like Bradley and I, or like you both two aren't there eating up blocks. Like that, may, you know, that may mean, you know, that like guys are, you know, other guys are getting a little overwhelmed. So I'm interested to see how this shakes out because I, I do, I mean, like Washington last year was able to come in with like, without much returning production and really just step right in and, uh, you know, knock it out of the park. Utah just doesn't return a lot. So it's, it, you know, the ability to just, you know, full on, you know, replace without any fall off is, is not a lot of programs, not a lot of programs are able to do that. Uh, this is going to be interesting, I think, for Utah to see if they can pull off something like that. I, I still expect them to take a little bit of a step back. I don't expect them to suddenly in any way, shape or form become a bad defense. Like this will still be a good defense. Yeah. And when we talk about whether or not, and we just mentioned, Rob Washington being able to step in, man, they did that in the secondary so, so well. And they have an elite secondary and so did Utah, man, Utah's secondary was the truth. And Hithliday, they, you take a look at the roster now and you kind of go, 
all right, what, what, what are we going? Uh, what are we doing here? And how are we going to pick up the pieces and keep moving forward again? Very good coaching staff. Um, so I'm sure that there are some of these players on this roster are going to step forward, but asking them to step forward at a level that they were last year, I think is just incredibly unreasonable. Well, yeah, like they, you're right. Uh, they had four excellent players in the secondary last year. Um, uh, other than Jalen Johnson, the cornerback, I, I don't think they were phenomenal in 2018. I, th- I think that was really, a, a, you know, a maturation process. And so the fact that the, you know, they're replacing all of them, uh, you know, in in 2020 means like I wouldn't expect to just plug and play in. That's probably going to be something that you're not, if it happens at all, you're probably not going to see it in 2020. It's probably going to be a year or two down the road. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting about their secondary was that one of their cornerback position, the one opposite of Johnson, um, was played by two different dudes, uh, Nurse and Lewis, who I didn't really like at all, but they they managed to cover that up because Bradley and I's pass rush was so good that like by the time the quarterback got there, uh, you know, to, to to pick on those guys, he was on his back. Um, so I actually think one of the interesting questions about the the this secondary is going to be, you know, I, I just finished praising the defensive ends. I'm not sure they have another Bradley and I, um, and if they're not getting it, even if Rob uh, is right, which I think he probably is that the, the front seven, you know, has a, a pretty high floor given the way that Utah develops. If they don't have another like elite pass rusher the way that Nye was, um, you might see even bigger problems, uh, in the secondary. We, we just don't know. Um, they brought in two, uh, four stars in the 2020 class who I think will play, uh, Clark Phillips, um, uh, uh, we'll probably play an outside cornerback, uh, not nickel is what they say, which is interesting because I think he's built like a nickel. And then Nate Ritchie, who is definitely built like a strong safety. The rest of the recruiting here has been kind of, you know, we're talking about mid to low three stars, like sort of like where we're talking about most other positions uh, in Utah. Like I said, they have a good tracker developing it. I don't think they've had the time to develop these guys yet, um, or at least definitely not the game experience. And so, yeah, yeah uh, I really do feel like this was it was underrated, but I really feel like the defensive back group being super legit in 2019 was a big, big, big part of the defense. I don't think they're going to be super elite in 2020. And I think, like Rob was saying, but in the other direction, um, I, I think you might see some knock-on effects where if the the, the, the secondary is not able to lock dudes down for an yep. extended period of time, it might not matter how good the front seven is. Um, so, you know, that would be – I actually am expecting them to take um, – a fairly substantial step back on the defense for that reason. But it, you know, uh, this is a, a staff that has surprised us more than once. So, uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. One of the things with them is we talked a lot about last year being Utah's year, right? This is, this was the year everything comes to culmination. I think one of the things that's encouraging is even if Utah plays okay this year, the, the new wave of recruiting that's come in, at least this past year and the year before that, like it's starting to improve. So that trajectory is going up where they're starting to get better talent and retaining the coaches, which should be interesting to see where they can go from there. Um, but yeah, I've, so I, I guess to end, Rob, where uh, where did uh, Beta Rank have the defense last year and where does it have the defense this year? Uh, it had them at 15 uh, last year. Uh, it has them projected at 37 this year, which is uh, yeah. like a, a pretty steep fall. I mean, I, again, like I would say, like you know, to reemphasize Hippolyte's point, because I think it's right, is like it's it's the it's how does this work in concert that is maybe the concern, right? Like uh, a lot of sacks come from you know coverage, right? Like determining how long the quarterback holds the ball. Uh, you know, if the like if the quarterback is able to get rid of the ball on his first or second option, like you know the the defensive line, even if they look better, may not matter as much, right? And, 
Um, you also, I mean, Utah's a green dog team. Like if the, the green dog blitzer may become less important if the, you know, the uh, quarterback's not having to hold the ball that long. Okay. Well, let's hop over to Oregon. Before we do, let's talk about my bookie. You know why? Because between the NFL, college ball, and major league, not even the playoffs anymore. It's the World Series. Man, some really, really freaky good games in the World Series. There's no shortage of games to watch and with thousands of lines available. For all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into a payday with my bookie. If you're the type of guy that likes the big favorites, consider putting a little sleazy parlaysy out there for a bigger payout. And uh, not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting but more importantly they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real money maker whether it's the underdogs the favorites uh, my bookie has been a sponsor of 12 pack radio for more than two years now which is uh, we're just very thankful for their support and keeping this podcast going uh, sign up at my bookie when you do use the promo code overtime to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand dollars it's a bonus designed to give you a little help a little head start on your winning season that's the promo code overtime for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit stacked ufc cards presidential prop bets all the major sports and more sign up today exclusively at my bookie let's have one more break and then we'll get back to oregon i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We're doing this. We're doing this with an, with an, organ, an organ writer. So we're going to do our very best. To hold the line here, um, but obviously Oregon comes uh, off of being the uh, Pac-12 champions, the Rose Bowl champions. They do lose a significant amount on the offensive line a couple places there, um, but uh, just what Oregon has been able to do, and Rob, let, let, I'm going to start with you because last year we had Utah and Washington being, the, um, being in the Pac-12 title, and really our thing with Oregon was we wanted to see it with the coaching staff. Because Cristobal had, had you know come on. We hadn't seen what he was able to do with the program. We knew that the recruits were there. But could this staff put this unit together and, and just make an elite team? And they did a really good job. And it, it was impressive for me to see it uh, in person and kind of just go, all right, I'm in. <laughs> like I, I get it. You guys have not only recruited well, but you're starting to coach the, the players well also. Um, what were your general impressions of Oregon's season last year? I was I was really impressed. I mean, and I think uh, I in Hippolyta, you and I we had this conversation before the season last season, and I was you know a little skeptical of Andy Avalos coming in, and you said no, no, they got the guy they wanted, and you were right. I mean, he crushed it, absolutely crushed it. Uh, you know, calling plays and getting that defense into shape. Um, you know, huge improvement over what they had been doing prior. Uh, you know, they finished out at number six overall in beta rank, their drive efficiency number, number five overall, they're, um, you know, not giving up long drives at all. Number seven against the run number 11 against the pass. I mean, just that, that was the engine of their season in a lot of ways. I know everybody like, of course, like when you're going to, when you have a quarterback, that's going to be a first round draft pick, like the focus is on the offense, but like. I think towards the end of the season, a lot of people were coming around on like how nasty that Oregon defense ended up being. And that's, that for me was what uh, was the story in a lot of ways was the story of the season was how good they became. And then, 
you know, coming in as we project into this year, how much they were bringing back on the defensive side of the ball. Hithliday, I have one question for you before we get into the the units here. What happened in that Arizona State game? Because like I'm looking, I'm looking at obviously the the entire season. I'm like, all right, I get the Auburn, right? Like you know, you go, you go to Auburn, it's on the road. That game was really close, and the ASU game was close also. Um, and then you just see win, 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 and that that red right in the middle, that ASU game. You just go, man, like if if they would have hit that. Now we're talking, you know, pushing for a possible championship uh, playoff berth. Uh, what what happened in that game? Uh, well, there's two things that happened. Uh, number one is uh, Justin Herbert lost his damn mind for about uh, uh, two quarters in the middle of the second and the third quarter in the middle of the game. Uh, you know, which, you know, anybody who's been watching Justin Herbert for a long time would tell you, like, yeah, he, he periodically will do that, uh, you know, through a couple of picks. You know, they probably should have stuck to just running the ball because they were, you know, running all over Arizona State. Um, so, that, you know, that was frustrating. Uh, and then the other thing was that uh, Arizona State, to their very great credit, you know, changed up the way that they were running the their routes on the offense. They, um, you know, I, I did a bunch of film study on Arizona State prior to that game, and then I was shocked when I was watching them actually play uh, in Tempe against Oregon because they were running different routes. They were, they, uh, you know, routes where they were normally bent. And like, there was this, the, the Oregon defensive backs watched the same film I did, and they were like, "Yeah, he's going to bend that one in." And then, nope, he takes off for the end zone. And the Oregon, you know, defensive backs were sort of like sitting there, like, "Oh no, they've done something different here." Um, and you know, it's crazy. You know, I, I dug up the stat, but it's you know, Arizona State hit you know five different 30 plus yard passes in that game. They didn't hit anywhere close to that in any other game that they played. Oregon didn't give up anywhere close to that in any other yeah. game it was really like you know this this crazy defense you know whatever theory you want to believe for why that happened and there are some conspiracy theories out there uh but for whatever reason you know Oregon was giving up deep shots in that game that they hadn't before and asu hadn't before and neither did again um so you know that's it man uh uh, and to your point, Rob, like, yeah, when Oregon got in trouble last year, it was uh, even, even though I sort of felt like the offense was inconsistent uh, at times where they got in trouble was, you know, when the defense couldn't couldn't stop something, you know, when the defense couldn't stop, uh, you know, ASU's deep uh, passes because they weren't ready for them or when the defense couldn't uh, uh, tackle Booby Whitlow from Auburn uh, in the third quarter and it wound up extending that. A game or when the you know the defense had a, a hard time um with wazoo i mean a lot of teams had a hard time with the air raid but like uh you know there there's you know drives kept getting extended uh you know in that game and it was you know because the defense wasn't um either doing or being allowed to do uh what they needed to do to shut down the air the air raid so uh you know yeah i i definitely think that you were right rob this team sort of like lived and died based on this defensive performance Taking a look at the offense to start off, um, let's start with the offensive coordinator. Uh, Joe Moorhead comes in from Mississippi State um, and then Penn State before that and then Fordham where he w- really made his uh, his name. And uh, Rob and I thought that this was a really solid hire just based on um, his ability not only to – like he doesn't have just one system. I thought he was very adaptable. Um, and each place he went, you kind of saw a certain unit do better based on the personnel. Like all offensive coordinators do that, but not all of them do that well. Um, what does Joe Moorhead bring to uh, to Eugene? And, and do you have any insight into what type of system he's going to implement with the personnel that he has? 
Uh, well, you hit it on the head is adaptability. I mean, it's crazy. I, I wrote a film study article on Joe Moorhead back in January. I digested 13 years worth of his tape going back to when he was the OC at Akron, for pity's sake. Uh, it's, it is pinned. It is the pinned tweet on my Twitter account. It's the day one. Um, really put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that one. Uh, and it's fascinating because if I didn't know it was the same play caller, I would think each year it was a different playbook um a different play caller like he he really every year he reassesses the talent that he's got on the team and designs a different playbook for it um uh, it's quite remarkable i think that events his mastery the craft you know if you're not just like running the offense that you've figured out in 1985 you know you're, you're doing it different every year and been successful you know at every stop he has for the 12 uh the last 12 years he's had a thousand yard rusher um uh, and so to answer the question, I, I am not certain what kind of offense he's going to want to run. Cause like I said, he's a chameleon. Um, I, my suspicion, um, it's closed practices at Oregon, so we can't really know, but my suspicion is that it actually won't be fundamentally that different from what they were running in 2018 and 2019. It was fairly effective in 2019. I'm not sure what guy they got in beta rank, but it was like number 19 and SB plus. Um, and I sort of suspect that they will, you know, continue an RPO heavy, you know, uh, spread ish, shotgun ish, pistol ish, you know, type of offense. And none of those things were like, you know, set, set in stone. Um, and, and, you know, simply because it's a pandemic, you know, and I think that he is, you know, probably he's a smart guy. I think he's going to make the assessment that like, let's not make too radical of a change. Let's, you know, maybe emphasize certain things differently, try to create more explosive plays. But I sort of suspect that you're, going to see a relatively similar playbook okay they replace their quarterback obviously justin herbert is uh throwing dimes in the nfl night it's funny because you've also often mentioned that herbert will have these like total brain farts and i'm waiting like i'm waiting to bet against the chargers because i oh, know man. it's probably coming once I, the tape i've comes been trying to keep of- my powder dry on that one but like boy i you know because i'm pulling for the kid for obvious reasons um but like oh man charger fans it's it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> it looks like Tyler Shuck is the the likely guy, the number six pro style quarterback of 2018. There are some pieces behind him, but but from all from from our conversations with you and also just stuff that we've read, it looks like he's the the guy. What what should we expect in Tyler Shuck? What kind of quarterback is he? Um, from you know anything that you've been able to gauge. Uh, uh, he looks pretty good. Uh, you know, looks sort of like a Justin Herbert clone. Frankly, he's a tall guy. Um, you know, well built. Uh, he got an extensive backup time in 2019 when I wrote my uh, Oregon preview at the end of my dive series. You know, I put in a bunch of film clips of him. I also put in uh, links to a couple of other film evaluators, uh, Mike Pulaski, the uh, Cal quarterback back in the 90s, and Murph Baldwin out of the SEC, and like. You know, everybody who's ever looked at his film sort of comes to the same conclusion, which is this guy looks pretty good. You know, he's a four star, you know, uh, has the has the experience, has, you know, command of the offense. Uh, no, certainly no red flags have ever come up about him. Uh, um, you can look at my film reviews and, and other people's as well. Like, you know, looks pretty good. And then the other interesting thing is the, you know, probably the number two is the Anthony Brown, the grad transfer from Boston College. I just published this morning a uh, film study article about him. Um, you know, he got injured. Uh, two of his three years as a starter at Boston College his numbers sort of got cut down a bit and, then, and and I didn't love his offensive coordinator Scott Loeffler for two of the years I sort of thought that he depressed the numbers sort of a bit but 
boy, you turn on the tape, that guy's got a hell of an arm. Like, oh, yeah. that, that, like it is remarkable. Like, well, read my article. I, I write these things for a reason. Like, it's got a bunch of film clips. You can just watch them. Like, it's fireworks, man. Like, um, I think that's a really solid, reliable option, kind of like we were talking about with Utah. Like, you know, having a one-two punch of reliable options may be very, very valuable this year. And frankly, I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if Anthony Brown just straight up won the job. Like, he looks good. Um, I think either, you know, whatever. I think you're probably right. Tyler Shack has been taking the reps with the ones and Anthony Brown with the twos. I suspect that's probably what's going to wind up happening. Um, but regardless of what happens, I, you know, to be honest, having studied uh, both of these guys' films, like, you know, I'm very comfortable with Chuck as the, the starter. And frankly, Anthony Brown on like 10 uh, other Pac-12 teams, I think would be the starter. I, you know, maybe not Slovis, maybe not uh, 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 Daniels at ASU, but I mean, anyway. Or else, like, yeah. Oh, he beat out Daniels. Come on. I, you're, you're maybe a little more negative on Daniels than a lot of people are. I, You know, we, well, we've gone back and forth. The thing that's interesting about Brown is that unlike Daniels, he's all of his passes are downfield. There's no RPOs. There's no screen passes in Boston College's offense. And he's, either. And he's a lot more accurate downfield. There's a lot of accuracy, too. And, and frankly, his accuracy numbers aren't as impressive as, as you can see on film because he sort of didn't have a great wide receiver core. Um, yeah. uh, he will have a much better wide receiver core at Oregon. Um to be throwing to if he uh, is taking snaps. So I, I really, I would go out on a limb here and say that I think, uh, you know, Slovis is, is the number one quarterback in the Pac-12. Daniels, I think, he ha- is a lot of upside to him. Jake Bentley is an interesting guy because he has a ton of experience. Um, I think in terms of the one-two punch, like having two reliable quarterbacks, I think that Oregon's got the best quarterback room in the conference. I have to think about that. I have to think about that. We'll see. Um Oh, I, I have to like. I agree. In fact, a lot of people I talk to around the stats community and folks that also watch tape really were sure when Brown transferred that he was going to win the job. I mean, because they uh, there's a lot to like on his tape from from BC, um, and it was under. Uh, I, I think he was held back a little bit by uh, the offense that they were running, uh, which was really run down. I mean, it allowed him to take a lot of shots downfield when he to throw the ball. Um, with some play action, but was was pretty run heavy. Well, going going into the offense itself, like Rob, when we were talking about Oregon two years ago in 2018, look, that offense was tough to watch, um, and it made me want to bang my head against the window, particularly if I was betting on Oregon, um, because there was this tendency to like kind of do the same thing often um, over and over. And that was, and that was run the ball. <laughs> like, and I, and I get it like in the Ed Herbert and, uh, and the wide receivers were fine. I think that's starting to change the, this past year. Um, this like, it, it, well, it's starting to change in terms of the efficiency. Um, because the, the running attack, I mean, CJ Verdell, 1200 yards, six yards per carry, eight touchdowns. Um, you have Travis die behind him. Um, and then they're bringing in a number of, of really solid players. But did they? Did you see a jump in efficiency between 2018 and, and 2019? Where did the offense ultimately end? And what were maybe some uh, some areas of concern if there if there were any? I mean, there's one. There's areas of concern for every team. Um, what are some of the um, What are some of the areas where you kind of maybe saw that Oregon could improve when it came to uh, their offensive system? I mean, I think there's some real concerns. Uh, you know, some of which are alleviated by Moorhead coming. Um, because I think there was some schematic and play calling stuff that really hurt them. They only graded out 40 and effective rush last season. Um, you know, they were actually more, I mean, they were more effective throwing the ball than they were running the ball more often than not. Um, and it's considering how well their offensive line really graded out, you know, in a lot of places. 
I mean, to be 40 and effective rush and to run the ball as often as they did is, is, is kind of telling, like it just, it speaks to, to some issues that they had that I think with Moorhead there, they will be able to work out uh, potentially, but you know, there, there, if there are, you know, real issues here on this, is that like the wide receivers weren't necessarily great last year. I think that there's better talent that will likely see the field this year. But anytime you're replacing, and th- in this case, they're replacing all five offensive linemen. I mean, mileage may vary, and I, I'm not, I in the, in the, I am not saying, or like when I say that, I'm not saying Oregon will suddenly have a bad offensive line or a middling offensive line. I think they will have a good offensive line. I think they've recruited well. I think it's a point of emphasis. I think the coaching is very good. Will they, however, be another top ten offensive line in college football? They were number one last year for Pro Football Focus. That I, that I think is more of an open question, right? Like, I mean, where do they shake out amongst the, you know, good to very good, you know, coming into this year? That said, I think that it will be, even if they do end up there, they could be better because like one of the things and Hippolyte talked about this with Moorhead a little bit, I'm excited to see this because, you know, when he was with Penn State, oddly enough, um, you know, his, his offenses were really pass heavy and, and were incredibly effective at it. That 2016 Penn State offense graded out at number 10 overall in effective pass and beta rank. They were 34 in effective rush. The next year in 2017, number three in effective pass, number 29 in effective rush. Then he goes to Mississippi State. His Mississippi State offenses were not great. They were good. You know, they were, he was 32 in 2018, but he was number six in effective rush and number 81 in effective pass. And then last season, you know, seven in effective rush, 99 in effective pass. I think he is able to scheme to what works. Uh, it is a little troubling, of course, that Mississippi State couldn't figure out figure out throwing the ball. Hardly well, at all. Well, the, the quarterback situation yeah. inherited Nick Fitzgerald, and then it was just an absolute catastrophe of injuries yeah. and some weird academic scandal at the quarterback. Uh, that's actually the biggest thing that I lay at Joe Moorhead's feet in terms of problems in his entire offensive career is how he managed that quarterback situation in 2019, um, which I think was really funky. I don't think it, it, it applies to Oregon. Like I, you know, even yeah. if, even if that is a hundred percent his fault, like <laughs> not going to be an issue at Oregon. It's, it's yeah. Be, you know, a challenge there. I, I think the, uh, the one thing that I'll say about separating out in terms, it probably doesn't really matter except I, uh, with the 2019 numbers, this is difficult to separate out the run versus the pass numbers at Oregon in 2019 because it's a very, very heavy RPO offense. And they were simply reacting to, 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 to what defenses were doing. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, a lot of, t- you know, the, d- the defense is going to dictate whether it's a run or a pass. And so, you know, trying to tease the, that out is a little difficult. Um, you know, it sort of complicates things. I, I will but say, it, you know, in terms of the running back, like the, the thing that's really, you know, that I like a lot about these running backs. And I mean, you're talking about a back to back thousand yard rusher and CJ Burdell is that they never went backwards. There, there's basically zero negative rushing yard plays for Oregon, which, so, you know, I, I agree with you. I would, I wanted to see more, you know, uh, rushing production out of them, especially more explosive runs. But like when you, when you drill down to like the per play efficiency, the fact that it was like, okay, that run wasn't phenomenal. It only got us three yards. Now it's second and seven. It's never second and 13. It's never second and 19 or whatever, which like having, you know, having watched like Chip Kelly, March Helfridge offenses where like all the time it would have Rob, you could definitely you know, speak to this. Like, you know, there was a, a lot of negative uh, drives, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. in, in those offenses because like they would take a, you know, a sack in the mesh 
point, uh, or, you know, or, you know, get blown up at the mesh point, and then the drive is over and they had to punt. And they, and they would do that in like, you know, 12 seconds, you know, and, and games could get away from them, you know, uh, and, and that just, you know, really wasn't happening. You know, I, so you, you're right about, you know, I wish the, the rushing you know, production was a little better. It worked with the way that the offense wanted to work, which is why it never really gave me any heartburn. I, I guess I, and I'm, that's a reason I think to maybe be excited about, you know, if they could get away, because the RPO did not seem to work as effectively for them. Like, I mean, I, I feel like Oregon would have been, you know, in, in theory, RP, I mean, it's like running option routes, right? Like you should not have, you shouldn't well, be in the wrong call. Like you should find yourself in the right call versus the box, right? Well, this was the crazy and, thing. It, it comes back to Justin Herbert is because he, he operated the RPO perfectly. His RPO reads were phenomenal, but it just never meant that the ball was getting pushed down the field, right? Because yeah. it's always, you know, a bunch of short passes right in front of him. And that probably came to, that was probably conscious choice by the coaching staff to deal with his inconsistency throwing the deep ball, which is why it's so crazy to see him in Los Angeles, like throwing, throwing the ball like it's nobody's <laughs> business. You know, I, I, I really don't have an answer to that question. And frankly, I don't know if it's going to continue forever, but, uh, you know, it, it's, that was definitely, I believe a, a conscious choice, you know, where they, they were just not having Justin Herbert push the ball, you know, down the field that much. And so, yeah, you know, it was sort of a march down the field. And so, you know, you had a complementarity between the, the passing offense and the rushing offense, you you know, uh, in that regard and, and because they could rely on the offensive line to sort of keep everybody upright, you know, that, that marching down the field was a perfectly viable strategy. And yeah, but know, that, that, that makes sense. Cause like, you're not going to pile up a lot of, I mean, if you're, if you're sticking to short passes and, and you know, running RPO, like the defense is going to start to creep up a little bit. Right. Like, and yeah. that is going to, even if you're reading the box appropriately, like the safeties might be close enough that, uh, you know, you, you know, you're, you're not going to get enough rushing yards out of what you expect. So in that sense, like an offense that might be able to stretch the field a little bit more could be a really big win um, you're, and, and more heads going to do that. He's aggressive. Well, and the other thing that you're, um, you're definitely correct about is the nature of the pass catchers uh, for Oregon last year, because it, you know, they, they were just injured to hell, right? Like remember that graphic in the Auburn game where they had like five different receivers who were out, you know, during yeah. fall camp and like, and they were losing bodies to, you know, like Mike Pittman got injured in the middle of the year. Um, uh, uh, um, Jacob Breland got injured in the middle of the year. Like uh, Jalen Red wasn't available in the Rose Bowl. I mean, it was just crazy, you know, dropping like flies. Um, and so I think looking at 2020, one of the things that's actually, you know, pretty heartening about Oregon's offense is, you know, the, the depth, A, the depth at wide receiver is way better, right? There's eight different forces stars on the roster and that doesn't include their leading returning receiver johnny johnson um uh who was a low three star but who's you know produced a ton of yards over the years um they're also getting cam mccormick back from injury which you know only oregon fans will remember this guy but he's like this excellent tight end who's you know keeps getting injured um so you know knock on wood that he you know you know he comes back uh you know you're getting two guys who were freshmen uh, spencer webb and patrick herbert um who are you know both four stars and, and should be pretty good pass catchers and look like they're sort of, um, I'm not saying they're the next coming of Mike Gusecki, but if you look at the way that uh, Moorhead at Penn State used Mike Gusecki, which was not as a blocker, it was like, you know, downfield passing target, like those guys look like they could be, you know, the, used in a similar way. So uh, if you've got stuff to criticize about the way that Oregon's passing game operated in 2019, I would certainly agree with you. I think a big problem was depth. I think the depth would be better, and that's another reason that I think is complimentary to Moorhead to expect this offense will take another step forward. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I think, I mean, obviously it's whether or not the quarterback can connect with the wide receivers and like, 
I'm kind of nitpicking here, right? Like, I mean, but I do think it's a fair question. Can the, is this quarterback going to be 70%, 80% of what Herbert uh, brought 50%? We, we don't know until we're on the field, but the film, like you mentioned on Brown is quite good. And then obviously the pedigree for Shuck. Uh, I do think the biggest question here is the offensive line. So oh, no doubt. yeah, I mean, it's, it's everybody, right? Like almost well, well, no, actually that's not the case. It's not the case because Oregon has done a really good job. And actually this is something that drove me nuts sometimes with Cal's defense where they just wouldn't cycle anybody else in to get them playing time. I think one of the things that Oregon does well was bring in um, other members of the offensive line to get them some, some time. And I think one of the things that was interesting is that the shift from the small, like Steve Greatwood type of offensive lineman that would be mobile and, and be able to work with a Chip Kelly system to more of that road grading type of offensive lineman, hopefully like you've talked about, but I do want to get Rob's take on this first um, because it is, it is a big question, right? Like the, the fact that we don't quite know what this line will be and it was quite effective last year and they lose uh, everybody, Penny Sewell included. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, like, I don't want to sound like I'm like, it's, you know, Sturm and Drang, like it's doom and gloom. Right. But right. it is. You definitely should. Cause I'm very optimistic about them. So go for no, it. No, <laughs> that's why, that's why I gave no, it to no, Rob I mean, first. Like, I, I do think like, I mean, it is absolutely like, I, uh, but I also think the flip of it is, is like, if anybody's telling you like the, like, and I, you know, you, that like, you're just going to roll out five new guys that have a lot less. I mean, they do like Oregon has done some rotation, you know, and there's these guys do have some experience, but guys that have a lot less starting experience, um, you know, and like making sure that they can all sort of play together. Like that is you, like, I, I, I just think like having reasonable expectations for this line, uh, you know, is, is probably that they're like a top 20 line and that's, that's still very good. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from it. Like that's like, if you're an Oregon fan, you should take that to the bank. Cause you'll probably return a lot of these guys. Cause you know, none of them are like, even if they were going to graduate, they would all have eligibility. Um, after this season, but like, you're going to return a lot of these guys and they should be really ready to go next time too. So this is, you know, the, there, that is a question mark, you know, very much for this team. Also, I mean, like, you know, as, as we saw from, you know, like, uh, you know, with the wide receivers, like there's a lot of talent, like, there's a lot of talent. There's, there's, there's less production than you would like coming back there too. I mean, it's, I still think, I think you look at it, like it is a little bit like Washington where you're like, you're excited about the talent. I want to see it produce on the field. You still have to, I still feel like we have to sit there and say like, as we have for other teams, like, yeah, like there's a lot to like, you got to prove it. Right. And and with Oregon, like we haven't seen enough of these guys yet. We're like, we're, you know, should say like, Oh no, they're going to be great here. What do you think? I I think one thing before you start, like Rob and I like aren't Oregon fans and we're just Mm -hmm. pac 12 fans. Um, And I think that we've, uh, we've more appreciated Oregon particularly last year because they proved it. Um, like in, in a big way. So that, that's been, uh, and, and we've talked, like I made a decent amount of money betting on Oregon last year um, hmm. be, because it was a really good team and, and very well run and they've been recruiting well too. So it wasn't just, to me, it, Oregon doesn't seem like a flash in the pan team because they they have the coaching staff, they're spending the resources and they're recruiting. And and that's where at least I'm bullish on the offensive line. I actually agree with Robert. I do think there, it has to be a step back almost. Um, just based on like, the it, loss it would of- be crazy if it weren't a step back. I mean, it's a, it Rob's right that it's, or actually Brian, I think you made this point that like, it's, it's going from Steve, but who were seniors to Mario Cristobal type bodies who are like 
you know, 30% bigger, uh, but who, you know, are going to be new starters. Um, so like, how does that transition go? It would be crazy if they at least start the year, uh, like there's no way they're going to be better. There's no way they're going to be even as good the, I don't think there'll be, you know, horrible. Uh, I think, well, there's three things that give me confidence. Number one, you're right. Ton of talent. Um, you know, we're talking about four stars up and down the line, you know, and, uh, they have identified, you know, who they are. They got extensive backup time. Oregon over the last year, actually the last two years, uh, uh, has, you know, more backup minutes, you know, garbage time minutes than any other team in the past. 12 um well the good kind right when you're winning the game uh and you know Cristobal has not been shy at all about you know getting the bench players in on the rotation early like unlike some teams in this league like who play their starters all the way through to the final whistle like they're very eager to get guys on the field and burn red shirts so we actually have quite a substantial amount of tape on the guys read my Oregon uh, duck dive preview I put video clips of them um and you know they're pretty good uh the you know you're talking about very big bodies very experienced guys they've all been you know we're not talking about dudes who are new to the program you know they've been in the Ehrenfeld's weight program for a whole time uh the second thing that gives me confidence is that uh Joe Moorhead when he's having you know some of his best offenses at Penn State was not with a great offensive line um yeah you know he he I, I think you know you can have a pretty high degree of confidence that you know like if, if he assesses that the offensive line is like oh these guys aren't you know just autumn you know he can you know the quarterback can hold the ball for five seconds and just wait you know for some amazing pass to come open like i, I don't think that you know causes uh, uh moorhead to flinch that much and, and the third thing i'll say is boy the pac-12 did oregon a big favor when they were setting up the schedule because it is like a nice smooth even ramp up of uh you know defensive line difficulty because you know it's it's Stanford, then Wazoo, then UCLA, then Oregon, oh then Cal, then Washington. It's like almost a perfect progression, you know, to, you know, so yeah, if at the beginning of the year, they still need some time to gel, like they're going to have all that time to gel. It's like a video game where like each stage is harder than the last stage. Like it's like, it's kind of crazy how it was, you know, set up. So, uh, I, I'm actually fairly confident that by the time they get to the, you know, the, the tougher games at the end of the year that, yeah, I actually think this offensive line would be pretty good it's real deep so rob when when we take a look at the offense uh where did they finish out again in 2019 so in 2019 the offense for oregon finished out at number 17 overall okay and where where do you have them projected in 2020 so in 2020 we have them projected at 36 i mean they, they do not have i mean they are at 124 in returning production 34 back i mean so there's, that's all because of the quarterback right like yeah, that's that's offensive line. I went and looked at Bill Connolly's numbers. Like it's it's a combination of offensive line and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think the the reason that we've been more bullish on Oregon in the off season is the hire of Jor Moorhead. Like if yeah. if Oregon went out and got like, and I'm not going to throw stones at other schools in this, but they went out and they got like a, a ho hum offensive coordinator. I think I'd be less bullish on Oregon going into the season on the offensive side. We'll talk about the defense here in a second, but the fact that they have enough pieces and they're bringing um, what I just think is an elite offensive coordinator. I just, that that's the, if, if you're somebody that's been listening to us and we've talking about the team, that's, that's the extra nudge over the top where I'm not as worried about the offense as we go into 2020. And, and it'll be interesting to see how they perform, but we are, uh, we need to get to the defense here. 
Let's do it right I after. Think they have, I think I would say, like, I think they have upside versus that 36. I mean, I think the more, I mean, the, the projection model does not see that they hired Joe Moorhead. That is, you know, fully with believing, like, Marcus Arroyo is still your offensive coordinator. So, oh, yeah, yeah. That was, know. that's what I was trying to get at was like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there is, there is, I think that the Moorhead hire is a, is a upgraded OC. Um, and I, I think Oregon, you know, like, it has some serious upside versus this projection. All right. Let's get to the defense. Let's do it right after this. We just heard great news. Nextiva was named the best overall business phone service by US News and World Report. This is special. And this is a direct reflection of the incredible impact that Nextiva's team and the products we deliver to thousands of businesses, large and small. It's incredibly rewarding when the work we do leads to customers staying with us and referring their friends to Nextiva too. That's because we're more than just a tech company. We're a people company, and we're here to power the human connections that help businesses thrive. This award is a tribute to our team of over a thousand people who do amazing things every day to benefit the customers we're proud to serve. So thank you to our team, thank you to our customers, and let's do amazing things together in 2020 and beyond. We're back, last leg the last ride of our Pac-12 preview in 2020. We are talking the Oregon defense. And Rob, uh, Oregon had a good defense last year. Surprise. <laughs> what, what were the numbers? They finished out at number six in beta rank overall, number seven against the run, number 11 against the pass. Um, really just excellent at drive efficiency, preventing long drives, great at negative drives, you know, forcing turnovers, creating three and outs. I mean, they, they came onto the field with a very good plan. Um, Andy Avalos did just a phenomenal job in his first year calling plays in Eugene. Um, and we have them projected at number two overall coming into this year, right behind Georgia, uh, defensively. Uh, Hifflade, what, what type of scheme are you guys rocking in Eugene? Uh, the, the, the base defensive structure is, a, a you would call it a three, three, five. It's a three down lineman, a stud backer up on the line, two ILBs at depth. And then a, they're typically playing out of a nickel. Um, occasionally they, they have a bunch of different formations. Occasionally they go down to, uh, to uh, four defensive backs and they put somebody else in the box. Um, uh, it, the 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 watchword with Andy Avalos is having a multiple defense. They like to do a whole bunch of different things, um, and and they're trying to confuse uh, the offense. You know, one of the things that impressed me the most. Um, well, the two things that impressed me most about Andy Avalos, number one, is the way that he gets pressure without blitzing. I mean, there are some very interesting blitz packages, but they're pretty often just bringing four. But they're bringing them in like weird ways. Like there's a lot of stunts and and um, you know pre snap stemming and like just weird stuff to to confuse the offense the other thing that i really like about Andy avalos is that like difficult to explain but like he doesn't make mistakes well he has some good players to work with here particularly on the defensive line uh jordan scott fat mac up front uh austin fallu Kayvon thibodeau mace funa um there, there's just there's a there's a lot of talent here and i thought that like the defensive line was one of the things rob for me that really stood out. And obviously we'll get to the secondary, which is good also. And the linebackers are also good. Um, but uh, really I think it's fun when it starts up front, just to watch in general, when you have people running around with their hair on fire um, and, and stopping runs and stopping big plays and also getting to the quarterback. I don't know. Like there's just a lot to like about the, this line. And I think it was a, one of the reasons you had a defense at Oregon that ranked so high in beta rank. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the maturation, I mean, the, and the understanding that they, you know, really showed of the system. I just, I thought they did a terrific job. Um, and, you know, really being able, to, I mean, it starts not just with the system, but that, you know, Avalos has players that he can rely on in that front three, that when he sends that fourth, you know, wherever he's sending it from, and, you know, with all the, the stemming and movement that they do, um, that they can get pressure there because they, you know, even with all of the disguising they do, they, the, the talent really shines through too. I mean, their, their, their recruiting has been impressive. The development has been impressive. Um, and that Thibodeau in particular was able to come in as a true freshman on the line and perform like he did, I, I think is, um, you know, I, I think he is in a lot of ways poised for a real breakout year uh, in the Pac-12, um, you know, as, as one of the most talented players that has signed within the conference uh, in the past few years. And, you know, his, his freshman year uh, really leaves you uh, believing that he's going to have a, you know, an even bigger next, you know, two years before he's off to the NFL. Rob, you got to squeeze in some, some negative things to say about this line. Cause I ain't going to gush about it. I'm like, no, no, I don't have, I would have something like, I have this projected as the number two defense in beta rank. You think I have a lot of negative things yeah. to say? I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, the thing that I find most, you're right. The, the, the talent is excellent, uh, the, especially the incoming talent. The thing that I think is interesting is that how many of these guys on the defensive line are three stars. Jordan Scott is a three star. Falu is a three star. Uh, Popo Amavai, the, the backup nose tackle, who I think is actually in, you know, probably going to be better than Jordan Scott when he really matures, you know, is a three star. Uh, the the true freshman that I loved uh, last year, Brandon Dorlis, was a three star. A mid three star. Like I, I was shocked when I went back and looked up his recruiting ranking. I sort of forgot it. I thought that he was another one of these four star dudes, and was like, "Wow, that was a recruiting misevaluation." Um, yeah, like there, it, it is. If you look at the heat map of where Oregon's defensive talent is, it actually at the very front of the line is where they're the most modest of their talent. But <laughs> it's it's been the most productive stuff. So like, yeah, you know, go Joe Salavea. Like I don't know how how you Arizona alums let that guy go. <laughs> that was a very very, very poor decision by Rich Rodriguez. Mm. Well, uh, let's talk about the linebacking core, though, um, because th there's certainly some talent here, too. But that was, I mean, like all my focus, right, as somebody that doesn't do the film study, I'm focusing on the secondary and I'm focusing on the, the defensive line. And sometimes the linebackers are the ones that are difficult to gauge um, if you're not like rewinding and, and, and putting things on slow-mo to see where they are in position, what kind of talent do you have hit and, um, and uh, like, where, where are they in terms of like, if you were to rank them, let's say the defensive line, the linebacking core and the secondary, where would they fit in that structure? Where would they rank? I, I, I don't love talking about the linebacking core as though it's a unitary group because it's really three very different positions. Well, technically four different positions, but I'm going to treat the ILBs as though they're the same. They, they use a stud backer, um, who's, which is, uh, an acronym for stand up uh, defensive end stud, right? Uh, gets classified as a linebacker. That will be uh, Mace Funa. He was a four star. He was excellent. He was actually the backup last year, but the guy in front of him got injured. And so he was playing a ton, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year. They also brought in a great 2020 recruit, who's also a four star, Jaden Navarrete. I believe that he will be the backup stud. Um, they're getting a guy back from injury who was a four star, um, Adrian Jackson. Uh, uh, he played extensively in 2018 as Lamar Winston's backup. They don't always use an outside linebacker, but um, uh, when they do, he's a vital, you know, pass rushing role. I really like Adrian Jackson. I wrote a whole article about him. I, I wrote a whole article about nine different guys, so I'm going to be saying that a lot. Um, I think his backup is going to be uh, Andrew Fallu, the little brother of Austin Fallu. 
value the defensive lineman um, who's, you know, who, who will be new to being an offensive lineman and is the lowest rated of these guys. So we will have to see what happens. Although, like I said, they don't play the offense, the outside linebacker that often. So maybe we just never really see him um and then the competing for time is going to be trevon Mai, who's a, a, a high three-star in the 2019 class uh uh not bad um the inside linebackers is an interesting situation they lose troy die who every oregon fan loves um who is really in my opinion much more of like a high motor very smart guy than he was a phenomenal inside linebacker they're replacing him with just you know Oh my God, talent, you know, two five stars, Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. Um, possibly it could be uh, Drew Mathis, the Juco that they brought in last year, who actually got a start against Wazoo because Troy Dye broken his thumb in the week before against Washington, remember? Um, uh, the the interesting thing about ILB and then Isaac Clay Matuatia, who was the starter last year uh, and a four star, they bring him back as well. I think that he's, um, he's an excellent inside linebacker. The I am. A little concerned about depth. If if I, you know, I know that Oregon had a bunch of departures in the defensive backs, and everybody sort of went chicken little about it. I actually think they're going to manage defensive backs fairly smoothly. The position that I'm a little worried about in terms of depth is ILBs, interestingly, because I just named four guys: uh, Slavitsuit. Tia, Flo, Sewell, and Mathis, who, you know, that's four dudes for two positions. That's probably fine. If one of those guys gets hurt, I'm a little worried about the rotation because Samson New has, has temper rarely left the team for personal reasons. We don't really understand what that's about. And the other guys, you know, behind him, like NJ Cunningham, there's some uh, walk-ons. Like, I'm not wild about them when I've seen them. Um, The guy who I think is, you know, really we have our eyes on is um, Jackson LeDuc, who also came in the 2020 class. Everybody who wanted to talk about Flo and Sewell, every time Cristobal was being interviewed, he, like, made sure to say, and Jackson LeDuc, he was our borderline four-star who's really, you know, excellent too. I actually think, you know, that's, if I have a question mark about this defensive front, it's about Jackson LeDuc. Um, you know, is he capable of playing as a true freshman, as so many you know people have done? And Mario Cristobal, he, like I said, he likes burning red shirts. Um, if there's some problem with the inside linebackers, which this is a pandemic year, definitely possible that it happens. Like, is he going to be able to step up and fill that gap? Because uh, it's it's vital in that kind of defensive system, like we were talking about with Utah. When you're playing two inside linebackers, they got to play great. All right, Rob, let's talk about the secondary. Pretty good. They lose some people, though. The, the news of Brady Breeze uh, departing. We have uh, some uh, departures in the cornerback area. Well, what, what do you think about the secondary? I mean, I still I agree with Tipple. I mean, I still think they're fine, right? I mean, um, you know, was it, it Holland opted out, Lenoir opted back in, or was it correct? Uh, and I like I like the corners, right? Like, and uh, I think they're going to be fine. Brady Breeze, I mean, was good. I think that they'll. I think they have plenty of talent behind him. I don't. I don't expect a huge. I don't expect a huge fall off. I mean, I think they've had good coaching here. Um, you know, I think that they've recruited pretty well. Uh, you know, and I think that they have rotated players behind these guys also pretty well to, to be able to handle this. So, you know, you never. You never want to have like in a in 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 a world of the you know these worlds these days where you're running nickel so often and and Oregon is definitely starting out in nickel to begin with. Um, you never want to have like, I mean, you are always worried about secondary depth, but I think Oregon, you know, will be able for the most part, be able to handle this uh, without too many hiccups. Yeah. That, I mean, that was the interesting thing was that you're right. They were playing at a nickel and you're also right that they were playing you know, pretty extensive. They were playing a 10 man, you know, nickel, right? Like, you yeah. know, it's tons of rotation and three guys decide to leave, right? Uh, Thomas Graham, the cornerbacks, the one you didn't mention, um, uh, and Breeze and, and Holland. 
but the other seven guys all come back. You know, that was going to be the crazy thing if none of those guys departed was that they were going to return all 10 dudes, you know, and I, I would probably make the prediction had that obtained that this would be, you know, really step, take a step forward and be like a super elite secondary. And now having, you know, three guys leave, I, I don't think that they will, you know, take a big step forward. I also don't really think they're going to take a big step back. Cause I agree with you. I, you know, they've recruited very well. They brought in two different transfers. Um, uh, uh, Jordan Happel of Boise state of all things, who's actually recruited by Andy Avalos and knows that system back and forwards. I published an article about him. And then they also brought in um, uh, Bennett Williams, who was a freshman All-American in Illinois and then went to the Ju- Juco route for, uh, uh, I really loved his tape. Uh, bring back Nick Pickett and Bro McKinley, who were the starting uh, um, uh, boundary and field safeties, respectively. Um, uh, bring back the backups. Uh, uh, Steve Stevens, who was a four-star in the 2018 class. Jamal Hill, who's apparently been lighting it up in camp. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, I could go on. Oh, there's a five-star. I didn't even bother to mention Dante Manning at cornerback. <laughs> Mikhail Wright was phenomenal as a four-star cornerback, as a true freshman. Like, he was one of the few dudes who absolutely locked down Tyler Vaughn's uh, from USC as a true freshman. I mean, like, yeah, the, the cup runneth over. I, I'm not worried about the secondary. So who who would be the starting five? Thomas Graham, the uh, the cornerback, uh, opted out. He will be replaced by Mikhail Wright. Uh, both of those guys played during their free, true freshman year. Thomas Graham in 2017, Mikhail Wright in 2019. I think Mikhail Wright had a better true freshman year in 2019. Thomas Graham did in 2017. I project him to be better in 2020 than than uh, Thomas Graham uh, was. Uh, his backups will likely be uh, DJ James, uh, who's uh, also a borderline uh, uh, four-star, and they brought in the five-star cornerback, Dante Manning. Uh, Dejaminor Lerner opted back in. I think they will be solid at uh, cornerback. Um, at uh, There are three safety positions, right? There's the boundary safety. That was uh, Nick Pickett. Uh, his backup, interestingly enough, people think he was a starter, but he actually wasn't. Backup was Brady Breeze. I agree with Rob. He was more of a right place, right time kind of guy. Um, his uh, He will probably have Steve Stevens, who's the four-star from the 2018 class, backing him up. The boundary safety, which would be interesting because it was uh, he was playing backup field safety uh, last year. But Nick Pickett was ejected at the second half of the USC game due to uh, something. And uh, Steven had to come in for the first half against Arizona and uh, switch over to boundary safety. And he actually, in my opinion, played better in meaningful uh, minutes in uh, as boundary safety against Arizona than he had been playing at the field safety. So I think that that is a good option there. Uh, the... Uh, the field safety will probably be Brom McKinley again. He's a returning starter. He was a borderline four star in the 2018 class. I think he's very good. Um, uh, now here's where it gets interesting. He might switch over. He might stay at field safety um, uh, and have Happel backing him up. Um, the transfer from Boise State, or uh, he might switch over and take Javon Holland's uh, nickel spot uh, and move some other guys around, in which case, you know, maybe Happel or maybe uh, Bennett Williams, uh, the, the Juco slash Illinois guy, may take that spot. The nickel position, the backup was Jamal Hill. He was a 2019 Berlin four-star. He, um, I have the least amount of film on him. He never uh, played outside of garbage time, although he had extensive garbage time minutes. Uh, I, you know, didn't. I couldn't see much on him. I have neither positive nor negative things to say about Jamal Hill. I just don't have much, uh, you know. However, every camp report that we've gotten has been just glowing about Jamal Hill, um, which really surprised me. I thought that that job was going to Bennett Williams because I loved his tape. Um, And so if there is a controversy at all, some drama coming out of the camp, it 
is how that safety, you know, there's like a four-way fight between uh, McKinley, Hill, Williams, and Happel for starting and backup spots at field and nickel safety. That's what I'm keeping my eye on, but like with popcorn in my lap because any of those guys are great options. All right. Is that sufficient for you, Brian? That was good. Rob, do you have, do you have anything else? That for people who are not Oregon fans well enough? <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, I, I think they've, I, mean, I think they have tremendous talent at all, at all levels here. Like I, Oregon's recruiting has really turned on. Um, and, uh, you know, when you combine that with bringing in Avalos, you know, like I, I think they have a, you know, a shot to be, you know, one of the best events in the country for years to come. Yeah, it's the recruiting and the coaching, right? Like this is what USC. I wish USC was was at, where they're bringing in the players and they have the infrastructure there um, to put them in, in a place. Uh, and, and like all, I mean, obviously all teams in the Pac-12, but like USC being the team that has the recruiting chops, that has like the 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 history and all that stuff. Where um, and I mean, and to be fair to to USC, it wasn't like Helton wasn't trying to do that. Like we've talked uh, at length about some of the major moves that he's made. So like clearly trying to, to write the ship there also, but like uh, Oregon's there already. So it'll be interesting to see whether the quarterback can, can step up, whether the offensive line um, can get back to a place where um, it, it's just pushing that offensive forward. And, um, and, and I'm really not worried about the defense. <laughs> so um, let's, let's leave it there. And, and it's, you know, what's crazy is like next week we are going to do our weekly preview. Max Meyer is going to be back. Max Meyer is going to be back and, um, and, and we're going to be off to the races. So thank you for everybody for sticking with us throughout this entire off season. Um, and we were seeing the numbers tick back up. So thanks again for tuning in. And we hope you enjoyed these. Send your feedback. Be nice about it. Be nice about it with your feedback. We'd appreciate uh, um, some nice notes, uh, even, even if they're nice criticisms. Uh, it'd be good to kind of see how we can improve in the future. Hithliday, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. And listeners, you can be mean to me. Uh, I'm off the podcast now, so have at. <laughs> and uh, and leave, Rob, leave you leave these other boys alone, though. <laughs> Rob, thank you for uh, for joining. We'll we'll catch you next week, and uh, where we actually have, we'll have sound drops and everything, man. It'll be crazy. <laughs>